How many of y'all like action movies? Come on. Okay, yes. How many of y'all like comedies? Okay, romance. Yep, romance, you got to go Old Testament. You got to look at like Ecclesiastes or something. But the Gospel of Mark is like a good action movie. He is just all about getting into the action of what Jesus did. And, and really, if you could summarize the Gospel of Mark, it's a firsthand account of what Jesus did. And he jumps right into the good stuff. He doesn't mess around with all the genealogies and things that you see in some of the other Gospels. He dives right in and gets to the good stuff. And today, we are going to be reading from Mark chapter 2. Verses 13 through 17, it's in your notes, it's on the screen. Let's read Mark chapter 2 together this morning. Verses 13 through 17, it says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said, and be my disciple. So Levi got up. And followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. That's very interesting to me. I, I would underline that. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Everybody say boo. So when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The title of today's message is, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word has the power to change our lives. Lord, help us to apply your word to our lives today. I pray that you would speak, Lord, through me during this time, God, that you would communicate truth, and God, that it would be transformational in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you are like me and you had friends as a kid that your, your family disapproved of? Anybody else? You had like those friends that your mom or your dad or your grandma was like, uh-uh, that, that person ain't no good for you, right? I, I had friends like that. Now, how many of you were on the flip side like you were that friend? Come on, don't lie in this place today. Like you were the person. Like their parents didn't want you to come around you didn't know, you didn't really understand why, but like there were families that were like, uh-uh, you can't be friends with that kid. I, I kind of fit into both categories. I both was that friend and had those friends. And the thing about those friends is like they're, they're good at getting us into trouble and helping us find our way into trouble. Now, I didn't need a lot of help to find my way into trouble, but I had a little crew, a little, crew, a little group of friends when I was in middle school and we, we kind of had a little bit of notoriety in our middle school as being like the troublemakers. And I remember one friend in particular whose name was Jason. And in seventh grade, I remember bringing Jason over to my house one time and my mom being really concerned about my friendship with Jason. Now, here was the thing about Jason. Jason had been held back 
like one or two times, right? And so in seventh grade, he, he had like a full beard. He was like six foot one. He was like 225 pounds. Like he was a big dude, you know, because he was a little older than everybody. And really, Jason looked like a full grown man. And so my mom, when I was in seventh grade, she was a little concerned, like, who is, like, who is this guy hanging out with my kid? And, uh, you know, the, the thing about Jason was he was kind of, like, old enough to, like, get served and not be carted, like, way before, anyway, you know, that was a little snapshot into my childhood. But I remember getting into trouble one time with Jason and my mom being like, uh, I told you so, right? Like, it was weird at that time how good my parents' instincts were about things like that. And now, as I'm a parent myself, I find myself, when I go to pick up my kids from school, I'm, like, looking to see who they're hanging out with, right? And the reason why is because, how many of you have ever heard this saying, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are, right? Or show me your friends and I'll show you your future, because we can tell a lot by, by who somebody's friends are. And so what we want to do today as we look at this passage is, with this in mind, we want to look at who were Jesus' friends, and what does that say about who he is? Are you all with me this morning? Say, yeah. 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 So as we, as we look at the beginning of this passage, we kind of see a familiar scene in, in verses 13 and 14 that you'll kind of see this theme throughout the Gospels is that, when Jesus was out and about doing ministry, when he was walking out on the seashore, the crowds were coming, right? It says the crowd was coming to see what was going on, and it wasn't just the crowd right there in Galilee. He's like on the Sea of Galilee walking and, and teaching, but it's people from the surrounding regions that were coming, and they were coming for a few reasons. They were coming because Jesus was preaching kind of a new message that they hadn't heard before. And he was teaching the people about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God was all about. Now, that wasn't all that different than maybe teachings they had had previously, but here's what was different. There was power accompanying his teaching. People were radically giving their lives to Christ. People were being healed. You can look in just the first two chapters of Mark, at so many uh, instances of people being healed. There's, there's a situation just prior to this where it says there was an individual that had a demon and the demon was cast out. How many of you know, like, when you start seeing stuff happening like this, like, that draws a crowd, right? And so Jesus is, is just getting started in his ministry, but things are happening. And, and so the crowd starts to assemble, and we see here that Jesus kind of in the midst of the crowd all around him, he singles out this individual named Levi. Now, Levi, you might also know as the Apostle Matthew. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. But here we see the, the kind of origin moment where Levi begins to follow Jesus. And Levi's sitting at a tax collector's booth, and Jesus looks at him and he says, Come and follow me. Now, here's what we have to understand about tax collectors at this time. They were like the scum of the earth in this society. And here's why. Levi, or Matthew, he would have put in a bid on this road that he was situated on in Galilee. And Galilee was like a happening place. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of action, a lot of people walking about. And so Levi would have put in a bid with the Roman government 
to have that post on that road. And basically, if he got the bid, then he has the contract. And all he has to do at that point is fulfill his duty in giving the Roman government their share. Okay, y'all following me so far? So it's like Roman government says, you give us this much, anything up and above that is yours. Okay, we just want our part. And so really what Levi did was he, he sold out his own people to the Roman government and partnered with the Roman government to oppress the people of Israel. Y'all following me? So he, he was hated. He was despised because the, the tax collectors were known for extortion. They were known uh, just to be dishonest and greedy. And the crazy thing was, like, you could be traveling down the road one day, and at the toll booth he charges you a dollar, and then the next day he might charge you $20, right? And you're like, wait, I thought it was a dollar yesterday. And he's like, yeah, but today it's 20 Like, I got, I got to pay the bills, right? And so it could change on the drop of a dime. It'd be like, driving across the causeway from the North Shore back to, to the South Shore, and the toll changes every time you come across. You never know what to expect. Do I need a 5? Do I need a 10? Do I need a 50? Right? And that's kind of the situation that we see here. And so, I, I don't know. Does anyone else remember, like, the first time you got a paycheck when you were younger? I remember. It's been a few years. Not very many, like 12, I think. Not, not too many years. Just kidding. It's been a while. When I was 15, I had a job at, come on, KFC. Come on, somebody. KFC. I knew the colonel's secret recipe. I can't tell you, okay? I had to take a, a vow of uh, uh, an oath never to tell. But I worked at KFC, and I remember, like, okay, I'm, I'm making $5.15 an hour or something. Like, that was the minimum wage back then. 5.15 times 20 hours, you know, and you're calculating, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get, like, $200 this check. And then you get your check, and you're like, who is FICA? Like, who is this? Where are they at? And, like, what, what is this social security stuff? Like, I'm not old. Why am I paying for somebody else's retirement? And you, you learn very quickly that taxes are no good, right? And so you can imagine that somebody associated with, like, collecting taxes, it, the people wouldn't have had a very, uh, a very positive feeling towards Matthew. And so that's what we see here. And it's, it's Matthew or Levi, the despised tax collector that Jesus calls. And I can tell you that there were a lot of surprised people in the crowd that day. It didn't make sense. Because, as I said, they were, they were looked upon as the scum of society. They were, they were actually associated or grouped with prostitutes. That's how they were viewed. Religious outcasts. Sinners. And what the, what the people didn't understand is that Jesus seeks out sinners who will follow him. Amen? And, and he sought out Levi. He saw something in Levi that nobody else saw. And Levi left everything. He had a lucrative career. He had an outpost, a toll booth that he could have made a lot of money. Yeah, he would have been hated, but he had the opportunity to make a lot of money but it says that he left and followed Jesus. In other words, he left everything. He dropped it all. Can I tell you there's this kind of false, uh, falsehood that we sometimes believe that following Jesus isn't going to cost us anything? Hello? And I, I just have to tell you today that that's not biblical. That the, the truth in, in, in the Bible is that 
Following Jesus means taking up your cross and, and coming after him, and there is a cost involved. Amen? But it's worth it. It's worth the cost. And, and we see there's like no hesitation. Levi leaves the tax booth, and, and he comes up, follows Jesus. And here's here are a couple things that I want you to see here. Jesus sees the potential beneath the surface in Levi's life. Hello? The other people would have looked at Levi and no hope, lost cause. How, how could God help him? Jesus looked and he saw what nobody else could see. And the same is true in our lives. I don't know about you, but I was kind of in a mess when, when Jesus sought after me. When Jesus came looking for me, I, my life was a wreck. It was a mess. And other people would have looked at me and said, lost cause, no hope. How could God ever use him? But how many of y'all are thankful that we have a God that sees beneath the surface? Hello? When he sees you, he sees untapped potential. Even in our mess. Come on now. Even in our mess, he sees the potential deep down inside. And, and we see that's what takes place here with Levi. And I, I just have to believe that deep down, Levi was searching for significance. That he was in a place of, of maybe success in some regards, but he was lacking significance. And there was something he saw in Jesus that was attractive to him, that drew him to leave everything else that he had known and to begin to follow Jesus. And we see in verses 15 and 16, here's what happens next in Mark chapter 2. It says, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Again, it says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? There's an interesting dynamic at play here. And uh, when you look at this, you see that Levi is excited. Come on. Like he's, he's excited about what Jesus is doing in his life. And the, the way that he responds is that he's going to throw a party. Now, I imagine if you had asked Levi at this point in his journey, if God could use him to reach other people, he probably would have laughed at laughed at the question. He probably would have thought, no way. But one thing he knew how to do, come on, he was a sinner, y'all. And how many of you know, sinners know how to throw parties. Come on. When I say sinner, that just means, when sin just means to miss the mark. And the mark, by the way, is perfection. It's a bullseye. It's perfection. And the Bible says that all of us have missed that mark, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I imagine Levi felt very inadequate in a lot of ways to, to begin to follow Jesus, to be a part of this plan and, and this ministry. But what he knew how to do was get a crowd. And so it says he invited all of his tax collector friends. Because how many of you know when you experience the goodness of God, you want other people to experience that as well? Hello? Can I tell you one of the dangers of following Jesus, for any period of time, is that we lose that excitement. Got real silent. I'm just being real. I, 
I've followed Jesus not as long as other people in this room, I'm sure. But for 17 years, I've been following Christ. And I can tell you there are times in my life where I've had to look in the mirror and understand that my excitement about God and about what he had done in my life was lacking, right? And what we see here is that Levi is in a place of, he, it's fresh, right? God's doing something fresh in his life, and there's an excitement that's exuding out of his life, and, and he wants other people to experience what he has experienced. And so a couple things that we just need to understand about the context here. The, in this time period, the eating customs were different than, say, in our, in our day and age here today in the United States. And so um, the, 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 the kind of idea here is that a shared table symbolizes a shared life. So it wasn't just that they were sharing a meal, but when you sat down to eat with someone, it actually was symbolic of a shared life. And so you see the religious people see this and they're freaking out, right? They're, they're looking and they're saying, Jesus is eating from the same loaf of bread as all of these sinners. And really what that symbolized was that you were joining yourself with that person. In other words, you were saying, I accept you. You're important to me. And in some ways, it is similar to uh, our day and age today. If I share a meal with somebody, how many of you know you don't want to just eat with anybody? Come on, right? You want to eat a meal with somebody that you enjoy spending time with, that is important to you. And in that regard, it, it was similar, but it goes deeper than that. It was essentially saying, I, I accept you. Now, can I tell you, we don't have to agree with people to accept people. Come on. There's this lie in our society that in order for us to accept someone, we have to agree with them. I, I don't believe that this indicates that Jesus agreed with sinful tendencies that may have been present in the lives of the people at the party. Hello? But what it means is that he accepted them just as they were and that he knew that, that he could make a difference in their lives and, and, and there could be transformation that would take place. So I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where you had kind of like a mix of church people and non-church people. Hello? Like the, there's, a, there's a real obvious tension in the room here because you've got like this church crowd, the religious leaders, and then Levi opened the door for every kind of everyone to come in. And so you have this, this dynamic of these different people in the same room. And have you ever... Uh, the way I kind of think of it is like, have you ever had maybe a, a friend that wasn't a church person, maybe wasn't following Jesus yet, and you had them around like your church friends, and like they, they're like trying their best to be on their best behavior, but a curse word slips out, or they tell a, a dirty joke or something, and they're like immediately like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean that, right? They're apologizing, right? There's a tension in the room here, and the Pharisees are looking at it, and they're like, what is he doing? Like, don't, don't you see how close you are to like these sinners? Do you not know? Do you not understand? Like you're, you're sitting together, you're eating from the same loaf of bread, you're leaning uh, at the same table, you're reclining at the table together, you're enjoying the company of sinners. And, and they, they ask this question, why is he eating with such scum? 
Can I tell you, there are two types of sinners. There's the kind that believe they are righteous, and there's the kind that know they are sinful, and, and apart from God, they cannot be righteous. There's those that know they are sinful, and, know, and then those who know they are sinful, but believe that they are righteous, right? I, I just have to tell you, I, I know I'm messed up. I know that there are things in my life that I'm still in need of God's help to overcome in my life. And you see, the Pharisees here, they valued people who looked good, who looked like they had it all together, who dressed right, who talked right. Uh, they, they, they didn't understand that, uh, that God sought relationships with sinners. They instead believed that God rejected sinners and failed to realize that God sought relationships with sinners. Anybody thankful that, that God is after a relationship with, with sinners just like you? And just like me, come on. Jesus kind of broke the rules. Jesus didn't care about their rules. He broke the rules. You see, they had like these religious rules at the time. And what Jesus did was he ministered to the marginalized. He ministered to the people that nobody else would go to. He ministered to women. He ministered to children. At that time, that was a big deal. Because what he understood and what he demonstrated was that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the broken. Hello? That the kingdom of heaven belongs to the broken. People like you and people like me. And so you, you see the Pharisees are up in arms and they're questioning, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? And Jesus, as he always did, he has like the most timely and most perfect response in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, says this. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners, right? Two types of sinners, those who think they are righteous and those who know they are sinners. And here's the question. Who is it that goes to the doctor? Sick people, right? Sick people go to the doctor, unless you're talking about maybe an annual checkup. And here, here's why. Here's why sick people go to the doctor. They realize that they need help to get better, right? We don't go to the doctor for advice. We want treatment. We want help. We don't, we don't need the doctor to tell us we're sick. Like, we know we're sick. What we want is treatment. What we need is help to get better. And so in making this declaration, Jesus isn't saying that some people are sick and some people are well. What he's saying is everybody's sick and that there's only one cure for the sickness. Hello? That he is the cure. That apart from him, we are fatally, we are terminally ill with a sin sickness. And that he is the cure for that. And so, you know, the, the Pharisees, what they did was they, they put people in the box of sinners and non-sinners. And they wanted to step back and separate themselves from that category of, of being sinful, of, of, of missing the mark of God's perfection. And Jesus comes on the scene and he makes the declaration, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And it kind of was a direct affront to the Pharisees who believed that they were righteous because of the things that they did. 
And he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, right? We don't go to the doctor if we're not sick. Doctor's offices are the worst. I just spent my morning at one Friday with uh, one, of our, one of our boys with Parker. And I can tell you, I don't want to go to the doctor's office if I don't need to, right? Because you already know, like, there goes your whole morning, right? You don't go to the doctor if you're not sick. But Jesus says, I came for, for sick people. And the reality is we're all sick. That's the gospel, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short, that we all need the hope that only Jesus can offer. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world, why? To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, what we would like to do is cut off that last little portion of that scripture after the comma, of whom I am the foremost. What we have to understand that is that it's only in our weakness that we understand the strength that God can give us. Hello? That in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And when I look at this passage, I, I, I see this parallel between Levi, who knew he was sinful, that knew he had a need for Jesus, and the Pharisees who, who believed that they were righteous, who believed that they had no need for Jesus, who thought that they were good, right, that they were okay. And I just have to tell you that oftentimes in church, we can put up kind of a front, and what happens is we begin to look more like the Pharisees than Levi. Here's what I mean. When we follow Jesus for any period of time, what we can begin to see happen is that we, we can begin to kind of count on our own goodness that God is working in our lives rather than acknowledging that we're still a work in progress. Hello? I don't know about you. I'm still a work in progress. Like, I still need God's help to think the right way about other people when they say or do something that I, I could very easily get offended by. Hello? I still need God's help to be patient with my family. I still need God's help to ha have my behavior align with my beliefs. And when we fail to recognize that, then what happens is we're falling into the trap of the Pharisees and believing that our own goodness is good enough. And, and the reality is we're, we're saved not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is. Amen? And, and so there's this stark contrast between the Pharisees and, and the tax collectors and the sinners at this party. And the difference is that the tax collectors knew that they had a need for God. And the Pharisees believed that they were good without Jesus, that they didn't need Jesus. And so what we have to understand is that is there anybody like me that sometimes you're sick and you don't want to admit that you're sick? Like physically sick? Like you're like, uh-uh. You're like cold symptoms. You're feeling lightheaded. You're tired. All the symptoms. And you're like, nope, I'm not sick. I'm going to be healthy, right? And you're trying to convince yourself. You're trying to convince everybody else. And 
the truth is we can do the same thing spiritually at times. And here's the thing about that. A doctor can't help you unless you admit that you're sick, right? The doctor, unless they make a house call, they can't help you unless that you're willing to admit that you're sick, unless you recognize your weakness. And the reality is when we fail to come to terms to that, with that, we, get, we stay sick longer and we get sicker than we ever needed to be. Anybody else ever uh, gotten more sick because... You know, you were unwilling to go and just get the checkup and you're sick for a week instead of just getting the medicine and getting the treatment and getting better. And here's, here's what I see in this passage. Spiritually sick people can come to Jesus to get better and lead others to do the same. Spiritually sick people, that's all of us. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually sick can come to Jesus to get better because he makes spiritually sick people whole. And then not only that, Levi Levi didn't stop there. He didn't just follow Jesus himself and get better himself. But the, the reaction, his response was to invite everyone he knew to spend time with Jesus, conversing over dinner, believing that the same thing that Jesus was doing in his life could be done in their lives as well. Spiritually sick people can come to Jesus to get better and lead others to do the same. One thing I would just ask, even even now as the worship team comes and we prepare to close the service this morning, one thing I would ask is that we just be real in this place today. uh, Real with ourselves and real with the Lord. Because in a moment like this, where we could maybe come forward and allow other people to pray for us over a situation where we feel weak, a situation where we have a need, a situation where we are spiritually sick. Can I tell you, like, being spiritually sick isn't a sign of weakness. When we acknowledge that we're spiritually sick, it's actually a sign of strength. Hello? That when we acknowledge any, any type of sickness in our lives, and sickness can look like, a tendency to say things about people that we shouldn't say. It can look like an addiction in our lives. It can look like relationship problems. It can look so many different ways. But what I want to challenge us to do in this room today is to be transparent with the Lord, to be honest. And if there's something in our lives that is causing us to feel sick spiritually, that we would come to the one who can do something about it. Hello? That we wouldn't try to cope with it on our own, that we wouldn't try to manage our sickness on our own, but that we would understand that Jesus is the one that can help us overcome our spiritual sickness in our lives. Let me ask you this. How would you feel about a hospital that had the mission statement, we're here for the healthy. If you're, st- if you're sick, stay away. That doesn't make sense at all, right? A doctor who avoids sick people, how many of you know, is no help. No help whatsoever. But what we see in this passage is that Jesus, the great physician who can help us overcome our spiritual sickness, that that wasn't his mentality at all, that he got down and he got dirty with the people who needed him the most. And I just have to say that this is not a church for perfect people. And our mission here is that we would serve those who are sick with sin, that we would give 
uh, that we would give help to the hurting, that we would minister to people who are messed up like you and I. That's our mission. That's what God's called us to do. And you, you and I, like Matthew, like Levi, we have the opportunity, right, to not only come to the great physician ourselves, but to lead other people to do the same. How many of you know there are thousands and thousands of people right here in Metairie, right next door in Kenner, right, in, right over in, in New Orleans, across the river in Algiers, on the North Shore, all around us, there are thousands of people that are spiritually, terminally ill, and they don't know that there's treatment. Hello? They haven't, they haven't come to understand that the solution to their spiritual sickness is found in Jesus. And I just have to look at Levi and, and believe that if, if Jesus could use someone like Levi, that was an outcast, that was looked down upon, that was, uh, he was grouped with prostitutes. If Jesus could use someone like that, how many of you know he can use you and I? And that it's like this, like if you get good treatment for like, I, like here's an example, okay? If you know a good physical therapist that can help you out, right? You're having muscle issues and stuff. I know one, okay? If you know a good physical therapist that can help you out and they help you get better, what is the natural response when you see somebody else dealing with a, a, a sickness that they could maybe treat? We, we're not going to keep that to ourselves, right? Maybe. Hopefully not. We're not going to keep that to ourselves. We're going to let them know, hey, I see you're dealing with something. I dealt with stuff too. Come on, somebody. And I know the answer. I know how you can get better. And really, that's what it is to be a follower of Christ. We've discovered the solution for our sickness. And then we have the responsibility, the opportunity to let other people know that there is help for their hurt. That there's one that can minister to them even in their mess. Amen? If you would, bow your heads. Close your eyes this morning.